A numbered section of Silly and Its Legends by Henry John Whitfeld. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. The Legend of Santa Wound. Once upon a time, very long ago, when from frequent inroads and civil broils the whole country was brought down into a low and feeble state, when law was so little known or so little regarded that a man who did wrong was at the mere will of his lord, placed on a rock with some bread and water, and left to be washed off and drowned by the receding tide, when the good old days of Earl Richard and Earl Edmund and Earl Reginald were remembered with regret, there dwelt in St. Agnes five families only, and those of the poorest class. The old faith had been supplanted by one plain and stern. The tabernacles of our fathers had everywhere been thrown down and ruined, and the sons and daughters of prayer were driven forth from their peaceful cloisters into a strange and unknown world. Many there were in those times who disdained to purchase life by submission. Many there were who refused to partake of the new rites or to enter their churches, and who said, in the spirit, peradventure in the very words of the Hebrew prince when threatened with danger at the hands of an apostate from their erst common belief, shall such a man as I go up into the temple to save my life? I will not go up. But others, from coarser and darker motives, clave to their antique worship. The power that dwelt in Santa Wound was believed to be strong over those who followed their business on deep waters. Many a time when a gallant ship was seen approaching land in fancied safety, walking grandly upon her way, the dim shadow of the hostile saint was thought to appear brooding like a cloud above her, and leading her unconsciously upon some one of the concealed terrors that lurked below. Many a time, a light burning upon the shore like a friendly signal hurried the homeward-bound bark and her trusting company upon rocks from which no human hand could rescue them. In all these cases, Santa Wound was held to be the presiding influence, the unseen shade that did her terrible spiritings, even at her own stern will. So when the holy rood was pulled down and the shrines defaced and their relics scattered abroad and the people went about breaking down the carved work thereof and shivering into fragments the images and crying out, These be thy gods, O Israel, the few remaining inhabitants, yet abiding on St. Agnes, clung to their old faith more fervently, perhaps because it was fallen, and perhaps also because they feared lest the new one should, by depriving St. Awound of her supposed authority over the elements, rob them of the profits derived from the frequent wrecks which they believed her to have driven upon their rugged shores. At that period, as I before said, five families alone were left upon St. Agnes. They were unwilling to admit strangers among them, lest they should be obliged to share the advantages of their wicked gain, with a greater number, and so diminish their unholy store. They bowed daily before the altar of St. Wound, and daily threw pins into her well, and offered up their supplications for wrecks. Many of these there were, and their hearts were gladdened, and they grew wealthy on their spoils. The corpses of the crews they stripped, and then flung back into the sea. Some missionaries of the reformed belief essayed to come and teach them the things that concerned their peace, but the islanders stoned them and drove them away, even as the idolaters of Ephesus cried, Great is Diana of the Ephesians, so did they magnify Santa Wound, the source of their bad prosperity. They were like the leeches ever craving for more blood. 
for they were still unsatisfied even by the abundance of their ill-got goods. People prophesied against them, and foretold for them an evil end, but those of St. Agnes were ever, and are now a dour race disagreeing among themselves, and only uniting to oppose some common enemy. So they went on sacrificing to Santa Wound, and laying snares for unhappy mariners, and increasing their profits at the expense of their souls. The preachers of the gospel faith held that the demon was permitted for a time to personate the saint, and so to do these works of darkness, and truly it seemed probable, for they prospered in their ungodliness, and even went so far as to take up their parable against the new ministers, and stoutly appealed to their well-doing as a proof of the efficacy of their prayers and the influence of Santa Wound. One day a vessel was seen to approach the island in a quarter the most dangerous and generally the most carefully avoided. All five households of St. Agnes were on the alert. They knelt before the shrine and vowed their offerings in case their prayers were heard. They then hurried to the shore and saw there, as they believed, a plain proof of the power of their patroness. The vessel had, by some miraculous chance, passed Annette with its wide reefs and shoals, Tempted by the appearance of deep water and safe anchoring ground, the crew bore up and made straight for shore. For some time there was no sign of danger. The tall ship came on bravely and without fear. At last, however, the foam ahead gave notice of breakers on the bow, and the helmsman endeavoured to wear, but in vain. The devoted craft missed stays, and was next moment lifted upon a sharp rock, the peaks of which pierced her sides and held her fast. She struggled and reeled to and fro, but every shock lengthened her agony, and the water rushed in through the leak thus made, and then, as her stout timbers gaped and yawned from each successive blow, she parted amidships, and the sea was covered with her fragments. Her crew and passengers were beheld in the water, swimming with the energy of despair or clinging to portions of the wreck, on which they hoped to reach the shore, but men held out to them no helping hand, one by one, they sunk, and were seen no more. The wretched islanders watched their expiring struggles, but made no effort to aid them. All their exertions were directed towards seizing and dragging forth high and dry upon the beach, such articles of value as the tide had already begun to cast up. While they were thus engaged, a mass of timbers was borne to the strand unnoticed by those around. Three or four times it was left apparently by the waves, and was again, as often, sucked back amidst the breakers, yet... Loud as was the howling of the wind and the thunders of the angry deep, there issued from among them a cry awfully distinct and clear. It caught the ears of some of those rude pillagers and made them, for a moment, pause. It came from that heaving fragment of woodwork which had so nearly been flung clear upon the land, but to which the billows clung with such desperate and fierce tenacity. As it whirled round in the vortex, formed by the advancing and retiring currents, there were seen upon it two objects that might well excite compassion and stir up to the rescue even those little accustomed to pity or to spare. A white-haired and reverend man in the dress of a priest of the Reformed faith was lashed firmly to a plank and held in his arms a beautiful child. It was the plaintive appeal of the latter that had penetrated through the roaring of the storm. Patriarch uttered no cry, made no complaint, but still holding the infant clasped to his bosom, looked piteously to those on shore. It was a sight to touch the heart of a savage, but it made no impression upon the wreckers. They gazed coolly and callously upon that struggle between man and the elements, 
They felt a kind of curiosity as to the result of the strife, but they had no pity, and they never moved a step nor a hand to aid. The contest was a short one. Every wave, as it broke over the frail raft, weakened the vital powers of the old minister, already enfeebled by the previous trials and horrors of the day. His eye lost its expression. A quick shiver from time to time passed over his limbs. His face assumed a livid paleness, and he became by degrees insensible to his sufferings and his perils. Still, however, the instinct of love was strong within him. He never for a moment relaxed his clasp of the child. He seemed in his agony, and at the moment of dissolution, to cling closer to that tie, whatever it might be, which even now was next to his heart. As he grew feebler, so did the little object of his care and love wax fainter too. The cry sunk into a wail, and the wail into a stifled moan, and then nothing was heard but a sharp, convulsive sob, and then again all was still. Close strained in each other's arms, the aged and the infant dead lay there, happily beyond the consciousness of sorrow or of pain. The raft rolled round and round in the furious eddies, but the plashing of the waters upon it was the only reply it gave. The divine had ceased to inhabit the earthly, and had gone no one knew whither to tell its tale of wrong, and to ask for redress from God. That night the grim leader of the wreckers was lying in bed, when he saw a vision. It might have been a dream, a vivid and lifelike dream, or it might have been a fearful reality, for, if ever ghosts in the words of Ossian ride upon the storm, it must be after such dark and unhallowed deeds. There stood, or there seemed to stand, beside his bed two figures. One of them was the old man, who was drowned in the catastrophe that morning. He was pale, as he had seemed in life, but the expression of his countenance was changed. It had undergone such a transfiguration, as death only affects when the mortal puts on immortality and assumes the dignity of an undying spirit. His eye was no longer pleading with sad eloquence, in the name of God and of humanity, for mercy which was denied. His brow was solemn and majestic rather than stern. It had passed through the ordeal of the grave and had borrowed from its depths a power which life cannot possess. The other figure was one with which the islander was well acquainted. It was the saint before whose rudely sculpted form he had often knelt and prayed. It was, in a mockery of existence, the similitude of her graven image in stone. It was Santa Wound. The child of the new faith and the canonized representative of the old worship, stood face to face, silently regarding each other. Then the ancient woman, raising her arm by an impulse that was not like an act of life, stretched it over the pallet on which lay the trembling wrecker, and said in accents low and clear, Apostle of strange doctrines, why comest thou hither to trouble us before our time? These are my children, therefore do thou harm them not. The lips of the old man moved not, yet he spake. Teacher of deceits, said he, and of a faith of demons, thou and thy children shall soon be no more. Their hour and thine is come. They that live by wrecks shall perish by a wreck. The moon shall not reach her full, ere this isle of sin and murder shall be desolate. They who pollute it now shall die the death they have given to others. Thy shrine shall be left worshipless, and be cast down, and disappear from the face of the earth, even as a tale that is told. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The voice ceased. There was silence. The two ghostly phantoms lingered for a moment, and then melted into thin air. The terrified man strained his eyeballs and gazed into space, but he saw nothing. He listened, but 
all was still. The impression made by this ghostly interview did not outlive the hours of darkness. Next day the hardened sinner went about his plunder as usual. He spoke to others of the occurrences, but they laughed at his relation. The young girl to whom he was affianced jested with her lover about his lonely situation that made him suffer from ill dreams. So he held his peace and turned his attention to gathering his share of the wreck and to preparing for his wedding, which was to take place in a day or two at Enor, or, as it is now called, St. Mary's. Footnote, Innes Moor, Great Island. Footnote ends. The morning fixed upon for its celebration arrived. It was dark and lowering. The channel between the Gue and the Bay of Old Town, always disturbed, was now agitated with a heavy swell from the eastward, while the wind, as is usual from that quarter, was puffy and blew in squalls. Nathless, the whole five families embarked in their boats, and after a stormy passage, reached Tolman Head in safety. Sorely and unwillingly had the inhabitants of St. Agnes consented to enter a church of the Reformed Creed, and have a marriage celebrated among them according to its rites. The good clerk rebuked them for their idolatrous practices, and they retaliated on him with bitter and profane scoffs, and when they left the church the last words that passed between them were of warning on one side, and of scorn and defiance on the other. So, and in such a spirit, the people of St. Agnes set out upon their return home. They left that shore, but they never reached their own alive. The wind had increased to a gale, and from a gale to a tempest. Scarcely had they got beyond the pulpit rock, and on a level with that which is called the gull, when a tremendous sea broke over them and hurried at once to the bottom the whole of their little fleet. Of the crews not one person escaped, neither was one of the bodies recovered. The boats, as if conducted by an avenging providence, drifted across the strait, and were found some time after, deposited by the tide in St. Wound's Bay. In this sort, the prediction of the shipwrecked divine was accomplished. No human being remained on St. Agnes, nor was it again peopled for many a day, nor was the worship of St. Wound ever renewed. A shrine escaped the violence of the iconoclasts, owing to its situation, for none visited nor saw it, but it could not avoid the inroads of time, which, in the words of Bacon, innovateth greatly indeed, but gently, and by degrees scarcely to be perceived. With the lapse of years, the progress of decay became more rapid. Settlers again sought the island, and as they were men who knew not Santa Wound, they did not reverence her little retreat, so it gradually mouldered away. Her well was filled up by neglect, rather than by any act of violence, and her name lived only in some legend or tradition connected with the wild times and the wild dwellers of the past. In the train of the reformed faith came in gentler and purer doctrines, bringing glad tidings of good things. The smuggler forgot his craft, the wrecker ceased to ply his terrible trade. The beauty of holiness was taught by a ministry, derived from those fathers of the gospel faith, one of whom died upon that beach, in the days when men bowed down before stocks and stones. So, while we regret much that the past has taken from us, let us prize that which the present still enjoys. When we quit the hillside, the evening sun plays around the grey rocks and green slope of St. Owen's Bay. As it goes down, we are left in shadow, but its beams still linger around the little church above. There is a beautiful and an affecting moral in what is thus passing before our eyes. The faith of other days lies in shadow, desolate and forgotten, while the faith in which we walk today breaks into the light which is from God. The brightness of scripture truth has wrapped it in a glory unshared by its deserted rival below. When all else is dark, the departing gleams from heaven have rested on it for a while. The day spring from on high hath visited it. End of section. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia.